I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and we're all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is read all over your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. Ooh. Hey, Molly. Hey, bud. Boy, we sure are recording this from the normal place that we record this at my apartment in Oakland. Oh, wait. Psych. We're not. <laughs> this we- is our first um, on the road uh, episode we usually record in you know, Kelly's apartment or mine, uh, but today we're coming to you live from an Airbnb in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Beautiful Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> we are in an Airbnb right now that's literally um, a block away from Hollywood and Highland, where the Grauman's Chinese Theater, the Dolby Theater, the El Capitan, huge things uh, are. And we walked on the Walk of Fame this morning and. Um, it's been a, a trip in every sense of the word, yeah. I think. So you want to talk about um, our first our first tour, sort of? Yeah, I mean, so we're here because we went to the Handmaid's Tale uh-huh. Haley Fest like panel panel. I'm like, I can never remember what it's called for some reason. I'm like, there, you know, the you know the uh, thing, the uh, the talkie. Uh, uh, we listen to the talkie, we to the people, and they say uh, the thing. And we talk it to the people. Oh, uh, yes. Um, it's a, a, like a movie, but uh, alive. <laughs> <laughs> but not a play. There and is not no a play. <laughs> it's like a picture, but the talking. I don't know. Anyway, so we got here. We drove down on yep. Friday. Uh-huh. Six hours, straight bits, oh, laughing, scream singing along to musicals in the car. It was a delight. It was like, I, I think I am getting sick for real right now, but on Saturday I had like a crazy th- sore throat and I think it was just because we were doing screaming, singing and doing voices the whole ride. It so. was it really like I have never <laughs> driven to Southern California uh-huh. and had it like fly by like that. Oh. It was a delight. It was so fun. And then yesterday we saw some of our friends here we had a nice brunch it was Mm -hmm. excellent and today we woke up and we went to the panel which is steps away from our our house but the thing we did on friday oh yeah after the screams the gang and the bits we went to see (laughs) ava duvernay slash disney Mm -hmm. slash oprah (laughs) do a wrinkle in time Yes. At El Capitan, which I had never been to before, but it's like mm-hmm. this totally amazing, beautiful, like mm-hmm. art deco theater. Mm-hmm. And they only show one movie at a time. It's only one auditorium. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a totally stunning environment. It's excellent. If you're in uh, the Los Angeles area and you've managed to not go there to see a movie, I would highly recommend going there because genuinely it didn't cost any more than a regular movie mm-hmm. ticket. Um, and it's a beautiful historic theater that's hosted i believe the oscars before and um lots of other events since but is now i believe predominantly a it's, disney it's theater. owned by disney so right. i think they use it as sort of like you know it's like a cottage theater for them basically Absolutely. so they do a lot of their premieres there because it's free buddy it's great yeah and they they usually have fun stuff before the movie and really cool walkthroughs after we met the movie. we met doug through preachers <laughs> drunk um, giving like a curtain speech. Yeah, the manager um, <laughs> was not presenting his best self, but you know, God bless him. But the guy who just got promoted was delightful. I can't remember his name. Was he like Chris or? Mm, yeah, I think so. It was something very generic. Any hoozle. We saw um, Wrinkle in Time together, and guess what? We freaking loved we it. We 
adored it. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Um, so Everyone on the internet is wrong. Yeah. Who didn't like the movie. I can't imagine. I don't. Redheads, please let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't understand what they watched. I know. And like, and, and I legit read some reviews that were, they were like clocking things in the movie that did not happen in the movie. They're straight from the book. And I'm like, but I mean, they were, they were presenting them like they were in the movie. I'm like, how are you inserting this thing in the movie that didn't even happen? Whereas they're missing completely certain plot points. Totally. That like are essential like connective tissue because like a bunch of them like oh like there's these plot holes and like how did this turn out fine and I'm like if you were paying attention <laughs> you would know exactly how it turned out fine and Rebecca I-, <laughs> I don't know who Rebecca is that's just my name my generic name for right. everyone who hated the handmaids uh, uh, who hated a wrinkle in time um and we're both coming at it from different angles I had tried to read a wrinkle in time several times as a kid and like never got into it so I haven't read the book or seen any of their other adaptations. And I even thought it was great. Um, I think it's easy to follow if you don't aren't familiar with the world. I still have a lot of questions. Um, but none of like the continuity questions I think really matter because the heart of the movie is so good and the visuals are so stunning Mm -hmm. and the casting is so fantastic. And it just, I'm of two minds of one. It looks completely different than any children's movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And at the other hand, I'm like very aware that like this should be this generation's like never ending story. Mm-hmm. Like the, the kind of class we're watching a classic being made. Yeah. And I would also say, I would say the only other children's movie I've ever seen that kind of came close to this sort of transporting experience for me was maybe like Coraline. Where it's like the visuals are stunning and it just creates this very different world. Absolutely. Um, and it had stuff it had stuff that I would have liked to have heard and seen as a child. Oh, absolutely. And that really resonated with us as adults. Yeah. I mean the main thing you need to understand is that we were ugly crying. Like it was <laughs> a blessing that nobody was near us. Like we had a couple of rows buffer between us and everybody else who was there because we were just like, I mean, granted we were like kind of cracked out from being on the road all day, but (laughs) genuinely it's a movie that kicks you directly in your heart. And we were sobbing and just the emotional (laughs) veracity of those performances. And the boy who played Charles Wallace was freaking stunning. I could barely hear the movie over the sound of my ovaries, just (laughs) thudding to birth him. Well, and like some people were, complaining like oh he's just not up to it and i'm like i'm sorry he's like the best he's actor i've the seen the best actor of any age well and it's like the whole thing is that charles wallace is otherworldly and right. i mean again we kind of got sidetracked talking about the movie instead of our perspectives which would have then set us up to talk about the movie but as we all know i am obsessed with the wrinkle in time madeline Langle is one of my lifelong favorite authors i love the wrinkle in time quartet and okay i fixed it so that we can backdoor get my d reese uh adaptation of many waters in here uh sandy and dennis are not in the movie sorry super fans but spoiler but well they're not even they're barely in the book but Mm. like just like the murrays have four kids Mm. in the books and here they only have two but hey they can just be their normie cousins who show up and kablamo many waters noah's ark exactly creepy sexy angel people well definitely let us know on the facebook page what you thought or think but if you were on the fence we implore you to go see yeah absolutely especially if you have young children Mm -hmm. it's it will be very very scary for like little kids i think but but i think your tweens particularly like ages like 10 to maybe you're like uh 
I don't want to say like, it's just like if you like a young, like if you're 15, but you're still kind of like in kid mode and that's like, that's not like a judgment or anything. It's just like, Oh, like hashtag me. Uh, hashtag Molly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say like 10 to 15 year olds. Yeah. Um, again, I haven't spent any time with children. That's not totally true, but <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so we did that and we had a great time, but I now, bought amazing lipstick today. She did. Do you want to shout out the brand and make a, yeah, your it's the Sephora collection. It's called ouch <laughs> and it's blue. And, um, I think it's changed my life in just a few short hours. You do look like a sexy freeze victim. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you, you're serving like very like Laura Palmer in a bag. Realness. Yes. This has always been my goal as well as I think her name's Nora freeze, who is uh, Dr. Victor freeze's wife from one of my favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. That is what you look like. I just, and look, in a positive I just, way. I've always wanted to be beautiful and behind glass. So, <laughs> Perfect. you know, here we are. Well, let's get into our discussion of Paley Fest. Okay. Um, and so just to give you a quick outline, we're going to talk about um, what we saw and we'll end this episode by talking about, because they did show us some advanced clips. So if you don't mind being, because I mean, nothing, there's all, really the clips raise more questions than they answer. Mm-hmm. So they're not like heavy, heavy spoilery, but, but like if you want to avoid all spoilers and all that kind of thing, like we'll give you a heads we'll up and be like, warning. stop listening now if you hate spoilers right so the fest took place at the dolby theater which is where um the oscars were this year and it's straight up inside of a mall yeah that was weird (laughs) it was so weird but we did it here now i couldn't tell because they had no tours today like they had up a little signs like no tours of the theater today Uh and there was some woman who was just like low-key giving a tour like i think she's just somebody that like lives here or like has industry knowledge and like was like her friends were in town but so we were kind of like scamming on their tour a little bit and we did find out that like during the oscars they put up a bunch of like curtains Mm -hmm. so that you're not seeing you know kelly's fud shop um (laughs) which which is the fud shop that i own here in beautiful los angeles Um, and you know, like there's like the Aldo and the Skechers store and they're just like, this is a fancy place now. (laughs) At any rate. Yeah. It was very disconcerting. Um, (laughs) to say the least. Um, so in attendance on this panel, there was executive producer, Warren Littlefield, uh, obviously showrunner, Bruce Miller, Amanda Bruegel, who plays Rita, Yvonne Strahovski, my queen, O.T. Fag Benley, my king. Uh, I mean, I think you mean official boyfriend of this podcast. Official boyfriend of the podcast. Samira Wiley. Uh, Max Mangella. Official side piece of this podcast. Who was chewing gum the whole time. And that's he and soups. Bruce Miller were both chewing gum. And I was like, tack, tack. Like, geez, guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I realize that you probably have stank ass breath. But, but like, put it in a corner of be, a napkin. Yeah, be, prof- be Violet Beauregard and pop it on the... On the, the old back the, of the yeah. ear. Well, the back of the ear or the, uh, yeah, the bedpost. <laughs> do you not have a, do you not have a headboard, Max Mangala? Please. That would be very typical of a guy I'm attracted to. <laughs> I mean, si- sidebar conversation. I feel like Violet Beauregard taking the um, gum out of her mouth and Willy Wonka and putting it behind her ear is like the thing that sticks out to me in the same way that face butter sticks out to me in the handmaid's tale like i was watching the movie and being like how come are you going to show that part because that was gross and that stuck out to me <laughs> and i genuinely i think they do it in the adaptation of charlie chaka factory anyhow which one the the 70s one or the johnny depp one not, not too bad I'm i want right to i want to tack the beginning of the johnny depp one onto the back end of the 70s one and then i think you have a perfect movie Wow, I love that. Basically, just remove Johnny Depp and insert Gene Wilder. Uh, like, that's what I need. 
Uh, and last but not least, we had uh, Madeline Brewer, who plays Janine, on this panel. So pretty hefty panel. Um, noticeably, noticeably absent was Elizabeth Moss. Or Lizzie. As Lizzie. she is known I to her intimates. So um, Lizzie, and no Maggie Atts. We were really hoping we'd get some Maggie Atts. But no today. Maggie Atts. Um, but still, a formidable, formidable panel. Mm-hmm. And the moderator, I didn't remember her name, but she was. It's um, Debbie something. Deborah from Variety <laughs> Magazine. Um, so, anyway, so they get. She, they, um, they showed us some clips, which we'll talk about later. And um, they kind of. Um, how do they begin the discussion? They kind of began the discussion talking about Elizabeth Moss, which was kind of weird. And they asked the question, like, how much of the writing is tailored to her versus um, offered from the book? Which is very interesting. I thought an uh, interesting question because offered from the book is such um, a... She's passive. Vessel. Yeah. No, it's just she's a vessel character with not much fleshed out so that you as the reader can put yourself in there. So they're really giving her... I think they're giving Offred more... Um, of a character yeah they wanted to know how much action Offred was because <laughs> of elizabeth moss right and it sounds like a significant degree like and they said like particularly with season two they were able to really write to her strengths mm-hmm. something that bruce miller said that i thought was interesting is to look out for um the season is that um in this season uh elizabeth moss has more trouble as Offred hiding June. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see a lot more June this season, which I believe we call action Offred. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hopefully. Sorry, BB. <laughs> more action Offred. And um, he also said something I thought was interesting. He said that Offred spends a lot of this season building an honest relationship with Serena Joy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that sort of explains. Or answers a question that we had, which is like, what happens to her after she is in this van? Like, I get, you know, she winds up with Serena Joy. We don't know. No, I don't. I didn't get that impression. Really? Um, no, because based on the clips that we saw, I think the timeline is not going to be as linear as we think it is. So I don't think I, I don't get, I don't get that I don't impression. see how they build an honest relationship if they're not in the same place. Yeah, I think it's going to be a. There's going to do it in creative different ways. I don't. I disagree think. with you. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. Okay, but I think it's funny that you think anything in this show would be straightforward. I think like it's going to be more straightforward than you think it's going to be, though. Okay. Like I think they've built us up to think that Offred is getting out somewhere, mm-hmm. and maybe she does at some point. Mm-hmm. But she's going to be in that house a lot more than I think we thought. Yeah, well, let's let's get off this and we can talk more about this when we see the clips. But I have some more thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> the, probably the person um, who had the strangest presence on the panel. Jesus fucking Christ. It's just maybe having an off day. Um, no, I've read interviews with her. Anyway, it's Madeline Brewer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, number one, let's talk about her outfit, which was boo-boo. Well, um, I wanted yeah. to like it. I could see what she was going for, but the <laughs> shoes were such a mistake. They were like chunky black heels with a silver, like strappy uh-huh. ball of your foot thingy. I'm, I'm a fashion critic, by the way. <laughs> and like she had these huge sparkly earrings on, which worked. And then just like a track jacket on over a cute pink dress. The the track jacket was a new addition because I looked at uh, red carpet photos. Oh, um, so she and was she just had cold. it off, but it was real cold on that stage. Yeah, sim- yeah, to uh, the point where we which we witnessed a very cute moment between Max Mangella and S- Samira Wiley, where between questions he kind of like started taking off his jacket and offering it to her because uh-huh. she was wearing a very sheer top, and she said no, thank you. Yeah. But I thought that was very sweet. It was that very he did cute. that. Um, anyway, um, but 
like she Madeline Brewer she does not give good panel in my opinion no and I think she just she came off as very nervous I don't know I mean I think she is sort of like the youngest one and I don't because if you compare her with Amanda Bruegel who I think is in a similar position. Like neither of them is like a household name. Right. Like even on the level of like Yvonne Strahovski, mm. who's not like an everybody knows who she is, but like has a very dedicated fan base. Right. Like these are two women who stand to kind of catapult to a new level in their careers from this. And I feel like Amanda Bruegel like came to play. Totally. And and I don't just mean on this panel. I mean in life. And Madeline Brewer is just like, what happened? <laughs> I did get that impression. Um, She begins the panel by talking about um, the colonies. They kind of went around and asked all the actors to kind of recap where their characters were at the start of season two. And Madeline Brewer started out promisingly. Um, She said, (laughs) Janine is in the colonies. And she said, the colonies really aligned well with how she pictured them in the book. So we're like, okay. So like, okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool, And then the next thing out of her mouth is she goes, you know, the colonies are just like you picture, you know, rolling hills, beautiful cornfields. And both Kelly and I looked at each other like, what the fuck is she talking about? Did she read the same book? Well, And And also just like... In what we've seen in the trailers and the teasers, I'm like, where are these rolling hills you're talking about? I was very and- confused. And then she and but she kind of like tries to pick it up and she goes, There's all this beauty, but then like under the microscope, you know, there's terrible things. And it was just like, well, what? <laughs> I'm very I was confused. like, okay, so you read the show's press kit. Or you like they put you in a room and put sound and music on for like a half an hour and then we're like, and the colonies are basically like Austria. <laughs> so it's very weird. And I think I think this kind of belies that we might see something like just different in the colonies the way that we've pictured in the book. Because several times people were like, Yeah, the colonies were were kind of awesome and it, we we were very confused they meant, i think they meant the sense of camaraderie on the set okay because they were talking about that in context of like all of the background artists who right. were playing the other you know less important women in the colonies right. and like the aunts who were kind of in those like plague outfits right like i think they were yeah it's just like the set and i mean i'm sure they do really interesting things in the colonies right but it's just like none of that idea of cornfields jived at all with how a the colonies have been described and b how they look in these trailers so i don't know what the fuck they were talking i i felt like in seeing madeline brewer like as herself i'm like oh i totally see the quality in you there's a jangliness to her i love that that's a perfect way to say it but that makes her perfect to play somebody like Janine, but also somebody that if I went to brunch with her, I would be like deliberately stomping on her toes. <laughs> uh, I think Bruce Miller put it best when he was talking about Janine's character. He goes, when the cheese starts to slide off of Janine's cracker, like but in then terms Madeline of Brewer, sanity. Like, got all mad and was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I feel Madeline. I feel like he said this to you every time he directed you and you just don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's in regards to uh, Janine's tenuous relationship with sanity. Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah. Madeline's a Brewer. delicious way to describe mental health issues. Absolutely. And it brings us back to our ever popular crackers with crony uh, set. Yeah. Piece. No outside food is allowed at the Dolby Theater. The Dolby. In case you're wondering. No snackies. No snackies. No crackies. No crackies. No, no crony. Snackies. 
They talked to Max Minghella, who I'm going to say was like second runner up for doofiest person on this panel. Oh, totally. <laughs> like he, the only redemptive thing was that he was very nice and wanted to give Samira Wiley his jacket, but. And he was smoking hot. <sighs> I don't think so. I, think I I'm, do. I think I'm over it. It's fine. <laughs> um, His lips aren't as poofy in person. Hmm. I felt like they didn't look as luscious. Yeah. And he was chewing gum, which I found. He was chewing gum, which is tacky AF. But again, probably doesn't have a headboard. Choose gum. Okay. <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> um, he did say a, a very, for as doofy as I kind of thought he was during this panel, because he's just like not engaged and mm-hmm. not giving great answers. The one really excellent nugget that he said was that a key thing he thinks about with Nick is that Nick is constantly um, making, d- making choices. decisions that negate his self-preservation. I wrote that down. I only I wrote down you. five things, but I was like, damn. I think that that's an important thing to think about with, with Nick and certainly a contrast to how he has been thinking. We see his life pre-Gilead when he's making mm-hmm. all these choices to align himself with the sons of Jacob and also the mm-hmm. eyes and also the Mayday, whatever. We're seeing him making all well, these choices. And, you know, and participating in the black market. Right. Um, which seem very um, self-preservative to me. Mm-hmm. So maybe the turn in this season is that he's going against all that. Which I also think is interesting. I've just been thinking about this in terms of just like a lot of like content that I've been consuming and also like real life. But just like human beings do so much dumb shit because they love somebody, right? Yeah. Like they just do shit where you're like, why did you do that? That was real dumb. Yeah. Like blow um, out your voice in a car trip <laughs> when you have, um, I don't know, a podcast to record and a day job to return to. But you know, it's just like, you know, why, why is that something that from an evolutionary perspective that we keep doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I'll, print my thesis on this uh <laughs> what's love got to do with it by kelly anakin honorary phd in the university of her mind <laughs> that's it's an important um segue too because he talks about the romance between him and offred and it's interesting to hear him state it explicitly that they're undergoing a, a romance because uh-huh. that's something that differs wildly from the book is that we yeah. really never get a read on how nick feels about offred uh-uh. in the book and we know that you know, Offred is very deliberately an unreliable narrator about that relationship. Totally. She's so explicitly like, yeah, I'm making a bunch of this shit up. Bye. <laughs> I'm off to Canada. Um, speaking Nothing of, is real. <laughs> speaking of Canada, the next person to speak was Samira Wiley, who's talking about where Moira ends up. And she had the first joke of the night. Uh, she says that, um, She's in Little Canada with Luke and they're falling little in America. love. Pardon me. Little America with Luke and they're falling in love. Lol. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Bruce Miller had to stick his damn face in. I know. And he was like, well, you could like they could like it's, you know, like a common kind of relationship where like the person who's blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, listen, I'm sorry that you married your like dead best friend's wife. Like, let's move on. He what? didn't really. But it's like, I know what he's talking about. It's like where there's a person who connects two people and if that person like dies or like goes to prison or is like suddenly like out of the equation the other people form like a relationship that can sometimes become romantic like to fill that void 
I actually um, disagree with that. I think he what he was saying is like they fall in love in this sense that like they have to work towards this common goal of but saving that's June. Not falling in love. I know. He was trying to salvage her joke and make it a real statement. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll get to Bruce Miller trying to salvage things and make real mm-hmm. statements a bit later. Um, and then at this point in the panel, someone from in the back of the room shouted justice for Pousset, which <laughs> I hard, wholeheartedly agree with and love. Um, then we get to our boyfriend, OT. I love it. Um, and both he and Max were speaking in their accents, their <laughs> British accents. And we were just like, Ooh, it does sound good, but it's also funny because like OT doesn't have a British accent. That's like very posh. sounding. No, he has a very like doofy, like lower class it's accent. Very cute. Yeah. It's very like, when he just like, I think of Luke as being a character with like a lot of like gravitas Mm -hmm. and he's a very grounding presence on the show. And OT is just like somebody like if he was a kid, you would have to leash him. Like he's just like looking all over the place and he's like, Oh my gosh. But that made him a great panel member. Oh man. He was, yeah, he definitely, he gave great panel. He was very engaged and he wasn't wearing socks, which I found interesting. Oh, I didn't see that. (laughs) Um, yeah. And he talks about how the relationship between himself and Moira was previously antagonistic, but they would reunite under their like love for June, which I thought was interesting. I think that's interesting. And I feel like though we didn't see as much in the show, how antagonistic their relationship was. I mean, I think we'll definitely see, more of that Uh and um they allude at some point to we're gonna see kind of the the darker side to offred june and luke's romance um which is also something that we saw more of in the book Uh that we didn't see like we didn't see anything with his you know first wife and what their relationship really looked like and the consequences of their having an affair and like his divorce. Right. And he did say, OT did say at one point, cause they asked the actors, um, what questions they still had about their characters, which was a very ominous question that we think means that they're gunning for a third season. And it's, I mean, I think they already, I think they've already gotten it. Right. I think Hulu has already assured them of a third season. Cause look, I mean, if, if you're Hulu at this point, you're printing money with that show <laughs> and you're racking up awards. You know, right. you are getting yourself up on par with the Netflix and Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And just everybody on that stage looked so comfortable. <laughs> like these are not people who are out shopping around for their next job. That's funny. Um, except maybe Madeline Brewer. But I mean, I think she's just like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everybody... Well, and again, it's like kind of weird because obviously they all already know what happens in season two. Yeah. And everybody had great poker faces, though, because there uh were a couple moments where like if you were killed off, you could have had like a visual tell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And nobody did. So keep it in the present tense. Don't react. Yeah. Kudos to them. But what I was going to say is so someone asked the question, like, um, what questions do you still have about your character? And OT said the question he has about Luke is like. It was so dopey. Um, he, he was, I love him, but it was like a dumb answer. Um, he Look, these are the actors. They are not the writers. That's true. Um, he said, I'm just intrigued to know about um, Luke's relationship before June because he was married before. And I just, I'm just confused about how this like nice man could like leave this woman for a younger newer model and both kelly and i were like um because men men are are trash trash. (laughs) (laughs) it was just like it was just a very sweet like i don't know why such a nice guy would do that like yeah we don't either (laughs) 
it just happens kind of a lot <laughs> no but, i'm great yeah. also fuck you bye <laughs> so that was a funny answer um moving on something a, a sort of thesis statement that got inserted here by uh warren littlefield littlefield who's the executive producer he said um in the middle of all of this he said an important thing to remember this season is that just because you escaped gilead doesn't mean that you actually escaped it gilead is within you this i'm so excited about this Oof. excites me way more than the other theme which Oof. we'll talk about a little bit but like but it relates it does relate but also I think it's really interesting in the sense that Gilead is within you when you're in Gilead, when you leave Gilead, but also pre Gilead, like not, we're not just the Serena joys and the commander Waterfords of the world. Like Gilead was in Offred. It was in Luke. It was in Moira. They were out there in the world, living their lives, making choices like all of us are right now. And the seeds of Gilead were also within them. Oh, that's incredibly the, apt. The way that they had been socialized into the world and the society that they lived in, it created all of the conditions in this Petri dish <laughs> that eventually became Gilead. And I think that we are going to see a lot of people in this season reckoning with exactly what that means. Wow. And whether or not they could or could not have taken any actions I don't think any one of these characters individually could have prevented Gilead, even Serena Joy or the commander, because like, you know, there were many sons of Jacob. There were 12 if you read the Bible. Um, But I think that's also where June's mother, Holly, coming in because she's somebody who was actively fighting. We know because she gave that guy the snip Mm -hmm. and gave him a vasectomy. Mm -hmm. Um when they made it illegal. Like, so she was an active part of this resistance, which is probably how she wound up in the colonies. Wow. Um, I mean, besides just being an old lady. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I just, I have so many questions and I think a lot of these characters, both in, they're just all going to have to be reckoning with like past, present and future Gilead. And like, what, what did I do? What does it Mm -hmm. mean that I did or did not do what I did or did not do? Okay. That got real. Mm -hmm. Um, like, yoda drunk yoda but like you see what i'm saying like no you did great i think that's um a point i hadn't even considered that like we all are the sowers of gilead Mm -hmm. unless we do differently Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that's interesting and there's also but it is but it is also like was it an inevitability true if you think about america and who founded america which was the puritans like is gilead really just like a puritanical dream coming to free to fruition well like, not in the sense that i think anybody like left like a time capsule and was like hey make this happen i, I know wife. but i i know but i i want to i i kind of i feel you but i want to stay a little bit away from that thinking just because the whole point of the handmaid's tale is that complacence and passivity played a big part in leading to gilead mm-hmm. Um, so like there was stuff and I, I certainly, if we're building the very strong allegory between this book, the, the themes of Gilead and what's going on politically now, I don't want us to fall on the, well, we were set up to fail. Cause I don't, I think mm-hmm. that like we've seen how complacency, um, leads us certain ways. Well, you know, and I think this is also interesting because they actually did not, they did not create season two as a direct response to what is going on right now. And I think that's smart because I think it dates things. Yeah. Like 
just say hello to any piece of media created in the 1970s if you want to see how that ages. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they were just like, okay. I mean, and the, really, I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, the world is still hostile to women. The world is still run <laughs> by men. Right. Um, but, you know, like drawing, I mean, and that's just, it's not a prestige drama thing to do, to be all like law and order, chunk, chunk, ripped <laughs> from the headlines. Right. Um, and of course, going back to the idea that Gilead was within you, there's a very tangible way that Gilead is within June, like physically, mm-hmm. this baby that she's carrying, she would not be carrying is would had it not been for the regime in mm-hmm. place of Gilead. So what does protecting that baby mean for protecting the ideas of Gilead? Mm-hmm. So it's something interesting to think about. Um, and I, then- I loved another thing that Warren Littlefield said, and I think, um, and so we can loop back to what Yvonne said, because she was next up on the panel, but oh. he talks about every relationship in Gilead being part of an explosive, volatile chess game. Ah. And I loved that analogy because every, I mean, everybody has, they have their sort of motives, their surface motives that are like Gilead approved. And then it's like, okay, well how do I achieve my like Gilead approved goals? Like Mm -hmm. a bunch of this shit isn't working. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious just to see like, you know, who's, who's in check. (laughs) Who's, uh, who's in trouble. Yeah, uh, who's got a stalemate going on when we get back into the first episode? Yeah, well, this is a great transition to my queen, <laughs> <laughs> um, Serena Joy and Yvonne Strahovski. Oh, who's just very cute despite that bag of a dress she's wearing. Oh my god, thank you so much because I was really worried that you were gonna love that no. dress. It looks no. like a bathrobe just that someone that. dyed red and like cut the shoulders out of. And God bless her. I've just seen some. St- Stunning pictures of Yvonne Strahovski mm-hmm. recently and to see her show up in this like bathrobe dress. Well, and I was it was upset. very clear that everybody kind of had instructions to look a, like a little dressed down and like more kicky and everybody interpreted that differently. Yeah. The only person that like really inhabited that was like Max Minghella, but as a result, he looked like he worked at like Tower Records. Yeah. It's like he just <laughs> wandered in and was like, oh, am I on a panel? Should I spit out my gum? No? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Yvonne was gorgeous and articulate despite this sack of a dress. It was like (laughs) the same shape as the dress in like Pretty in Pink at the very end where you're like, please, why? Why would you do that to that poor dress? Um, Anyhow, neither here nor there. Um, uh, They asked Yvonne, where is Serena Joy at the beginning of the season? And she goes, Serena's peace. She's just, uh, she has the greatest accent that I did butchered, but I actually, I thought it was very good. Thank you. And I don't care how accurate it is. I want you to do that as much as possible. Thank you. Hey, it's a bit that won't hurt your voice. <laughs> uh, but she, she says Serena's pissed off at the beginning of this episode. And she said the, the idea of having a child is the only thing that made Gilead tolerable to her mm-hmm. and to see it running away mm-hmm. is scary for her. And, um, she sort of spoke to the idea that the Waterford's marriage is in a period of uneasy peace now mm-hmm. because they have this common front against Offred, mm-hmm. who has flown the coop. That's why I signed up on a dating app that's about having a mutual hatred. <laughs> These so are the ties, cool. the bond. Mm-hmm. Um, next on the panel was Amanda Bruegel, the star of the show. <laughs> she was hands down the clear winner. In makeup, in outfit. And I didn't even love that dress close up as much because it was like, what the hell pattern is that? But like from far away, it was stunning. It had like this, like these great ruffles that were like, 
like kissing cousins with a peplum, but still like tolerable. And her hair looked great. Her makeup was amazing. She like, she could have gone off the rails in the same way that a Madeline Brewer did, but she like held it together and had really like cogent, insightful answers. She was the first one to speak. Um, when, cause the first thing they talked about was like, when did you know this was special? And she's the only Canadian Mm -hmm. in the cast in like the main cast. And so she was talking about like, you know, Handmaid's Tale is really like integral for me. It has a lot to do with like growing up in Canada Mm -hmm. and I've been living with us since I was 15. Mm -hmm. And she said that the first, her first day on set was like the pre-ceremony scene. And so it's like her and Max Mangala and Yvonne and presumably Elizabeth Moss was there you know, Joseph finds the whole gang, but she's like, Oh, like these are the people like, this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. And we found out later actually that Margaret Atwood, like when she thinks of these characters, now she thinks of them as the ones in the show, I know. which I love. But I mean, also again, I think it just, because Bruce was talking about how much license they have. And it's like Maggie Atz is in her like back half of her seventies. Mm-hmm. She is out of fucks to give. And I mean, even though, cause she's not even making that much money on this show. No, we found out. And, but she's just like, yeah, you know, do what you want, Brucey. I'm pissy. <laughs> I'm carrying my purse on stage at award shows, <laughs> which is just smart. <laughs> I'm becoming an internet icon in my old age. I love her. I'm so upset we didn't see her today. I thought for sure we were going to see oh her. Oh my today. gosh. We'll see her someday. Someday. Someday we'll be in the same room as her. That's right. Let's put that out into yeah, the universe. Absolutely. The secret. Um, but Amanda Bruegel's answer to where is Rita was my favorite. She goes, oh, Rita's at Red Lobster. <laughs> Which uh, some may not count as a subtle Shannon reference, but I feel like we we're can, taking we're, we're taking what we can get. We're taking that. Um, so unofficially, she's a huge fan of our podcast. Um, so that was her flippant first answer. But then she she sort of explains it like. The Marthas in society are kind of the lowest on the totem pole. Well, I love what she said. And I loved the friendship that she and Yvonne obviously have. Mm-hmm. Because she was like, if this one's pissed, my life is miserable. <laughs> I know. Because, I mean, she does. And she says, I think a little bit later, she talks about um, how some one of the writers came to the set and said that she is like the loudest, quiet person, which I thought was such an amazing way to encapsulate that character and Amanda Bruegel's performance. And I have so much more. I think she's definitely going to be like the rising star Mm -hmm. of this season because we kind of just didn't see that much of her. And we know from the books that she's an amalgam of the Rita and Mm LaCour characters Mm -hmm. together. Um, So a couple interesting things about that. One, she points out that she's in the most perilous position in the Waterford's house Mm -hmm. because she's like the only person other than Offred that was working there. Mm -hmm. So now that Offred's not there, all the attention is on her. And if Nick has also flown the coop. Yeah. So Maybe she can have Nick's apartment now, though. That would be cool. That'd be super nice. She yeah. could get rid of all of his crappy records and get some good ones. <laughs> the other... <laughs> Nick, this season for Urban Outfitters. <laughs> Another Everybody loves a Gilead boy. <laughs> oh, God. Um, something interesting that we found out about Amanda Bruegel's performance in particular is she said that when she's playing Rita, she puts rocks in her shoes so that she physically walks differently. And it was amazing. Everybody was like, damn. She she said, I put in my shoe and both of us were like, oh, my God, do you have butter in yeah, your shoe? Listen, 
There were several times when we were like precariously on the edge of them admitting that they should have face butter in yeah. the show. And I don't know if that's just like us sort of like retconning it. It's totally us retconning. Sh- no, it's real. <laughs> face butter is real. <laughs> um, but just the fact that she did that interesting like methody mm-hmm. thing is very interesting. And I wish I was hoping that would open the door for other people to volunteer if they did other things uh, similar to that. But I think nobody else did. <laughs> they were all like, what? <laughs> they were like, girl, really? Girl, really? <laughs> Damn. Um, so that was it. Warren Littlefield was like, bleep, blorp. <laughs> Does not compute. <laughs> and she was wearing Louboutins today. So, oh, whew. yes, that was pretty cool. Um, okay. So then they kind of talk about where Aunt Lydia is at the beginning because they had to kind of run through the major characters even if the actors weren't there yeah and warren littlefield goes aunt lydia's clearly spent the time off in charm school <laughs> i thought it was funny oh no sorry that was the moderator deborah who said yeah. that very funny i uh, thought she did a really good job of moderating it's kind of always a thankless job and you have mm-hmm. to be sort of cheesy and punny but yeah she was super cheesy and punny you did not like her no i did not like her <laughs> but that's my own fault uh that's my own fault. My reasons for not liking her are shallow and anti-feminist, so I'm not going to cite them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Welcome back to Shallow and Anti-Feminist, starring Kelly Anakin. Ba-da-ba, <laughs> ba-da-ba. <laughs> they did say some interesting things about Aunt Lydia, though, despite Aunt Dowd not being there. And they said Aunt Lydia's duty is to help Offred's baby stay healthy and alive. So this, I think, maybe hints more towards your idea, Kelly, that Offred gets away and then gets mm-hmm. roped back. Well, and the other thing they say is that that that's Aunt Lydia's duty, even if it kills everyone around her. And I don't know how literal they meant that, but I really enjoyed that as just like a concept. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, they talked about how they're going to be expanding from what the book covered. This was another part where we were very excited, hoping they would mention mm-hmm. face butter. <laughs> they didn't. Um, uh, and like, don't you know we're here? They said, um, Warren Littlefield, the executive producer, talked about how, like, were this to be a network TV show, there would be sort of the onus to explain in the pilot how the world got from America to Gilead and kind of really linearly show that Mm -hmm. in a way that the book doesn't even do. And so um, what they obviously didn't do that. Um, so what Bruce Miller has plotted out to do is to sort of work backwards and keep giving us little snippets mm-hmm. into how we went from America as we know it to Gilead. Um, and he included mention that we're going to see some scenes take place in the Boston Globe. Um, and I was and- like, spotlight! <laughs> <laughs> Basically the movie Spotlight. Spotlight caused Gilead. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Um, it's the Kaiser Soze of Gilead. Yeah. <laughs> He was because there were <laughs> names of every best picture in uh-huh. the, in the lobby of Dolby, so he was probably like, um, "Yes, there's a place that takes place in uh, Twelve Years a Slave as well." <laughs> um, but no, he said he said the the Boston Globe scenes this season are going to be to explain sort of how the press reacted to Gilead, mm-hmm. which is honestly very going to be very interesting. Yeah, because this- that's really to me that was the only thing they said where I was like, "Wow, I bet that they." are taking some inspiration from how the press reacted to Trump. Absolutely. And again, without it being like this like reactionary thing, just being like, okay, well how, but the other thing that's really interesting to me about Gilead is that there does not appear to be a central, like charismatic leader. Uh-huh. 
um, you know, like in The Simpsons, like na 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 leader. It really does appear to be a collective, which an oligarchy offers you a lot of opportunities in terms of operating in the shadows, as we have seen them do. And you can do a lot more if there's not like this one figurehead right. where everybody is like scrutinizing this person. Totally. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious if it's, a, if it's a situation where like the journalists aren't being taken seriously sure. or if they're like giving a lot of things that wind up being sort of incidentally like Gilead promotional material. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions. Spawn They got a lot of answers. That's also exciting. something worth noting. There's going to be more episodes this season. Yes. Because they talked about episodes 211 and 212, which I think we already knew that there was going to be more episodes yeah. than previous season, but they definitely said one thing that they said is they, we, it's a year where we had greater ambition than year one, mm-hmm. which certainly makes sense because when you're making your pilot, like your goal is, can we get through this? Well, whole and even season? if, even if he's not in the first couple hours showing you how Gilead came to be like you still have to create that world in a way that's sensible and that does answer some of those questions mm-hmm. and I mean, think they're also lucky because it's a sci-fi show mm-hmm. and fragmented narrative like this is very common for the genre mm-hmm. so you're already yeah. kind of going into it with a little bit stacked in your favor of like okay well like every dystopia kind of opens in medias res <laughs> and then we get, you know, the, the color filled in after the fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm genuinely so excited about the world building that we're mm-hmm. going to see. Yeah. And I mean, and I think, cause you know, we've been skeptical about season two, but I'm genuinely excited about it. And I think, I'm on board. you know, I'm again, like I'm not opposed to them having a season three, but I think, um, season two is like where the rubber hits the road in terms of, okay, I think they're really going to exhaust everything from the book in season two, which makes me like, I, I really don't, I'm not interested in seeing the end of Gilead in this series at all. No. And I don't think, well, I mean, depending on what they use with the epilogue or not, they had better use the epilogue because I think it's more interesting to see how we go from the vitality and the urgency of Gilead to like the flippant, the flippant attitude that we see in the epilogue. So I really, I still want there to be so much but space that we don't know. But the thing is, I mean, they couldn't possibly cover all of that because you go from Gilead to the flippant attitude purely by the passing of time. I know, but I'm saying is like, I don't want to see like, Vive la revolution. Alfred saves the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to see. Oh, you just don't want a happy ending. No, I don't. <laughs> I actually don't. <laughs> I don't think there is a happy end. I don't think there's a happy ending to America. Like, <laughs> Jesus. I don't. <laughs> okay. Like, have you heard of the Roman Empire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once. Uh, if there's not a musical about it, I frankly have not heard that uh, much about anything it. anything happened on the way to the forum? I haven't seen that. Mm. Anyhow. Uh, Everybody ought to have a maid, Molly. <laughs> um, what else is interesting? Samir Wiley says she wants to know a little bit about her relationship with her lover, Odette. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting that she says that because I would have thought that would be something that we kind of get an answer to in season two. I think that they're all saying things that we don't know that oh, they already they're know. They're teeing up stuff. Yeah. Interesting. They've that all be- been coached. They won a lot of Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest thing, the the most interesting thing I think Yvonne Strahovski said was that one thing that interests her is what uh, Serena Joy's own parents 
were like. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Miller straight up said that we're not going to get any more info about No, them. and I think, because I think she was giving a legit answer for I like what she would want in season three. And he's like, well, you heard him. I'm like, shut up, Bruce. Why didn't you retweet our Valentines? <laughs> yeah, he liked him. He didn't retweet him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce, we out here. We see you. <laughs> I thought that also, was- Bruce Miller sounds exactly like Anthony Bourdain, if you close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he does. I tried it. Can confirm. Another interesting of one of Amanda Bruegel's acting techniques is she says she goes through her scripts and she with the two highlighters and she highlights the points that um, she sees good Rita Mm -hmm. and she highlights the points in a different color when she sees bad Rita Mm -hmm. and predominantly what she sees is bad Rita. I thought it was so interesting. What I'm really curious about is how what you know, what do good and bad even mean in that context? I think maybe. If I was to hazard a guess, I would say bad Rita is the Rita that watches while Offred gets raped. I would say it's more like bad Rita is the Rita who, I mean, like, and this fits in there, but it's like bad Rita acts in the interest of Gilead. Good Rita acts in the interest of Rita. Uh, yes. It's more slash sus- all women. That's more succinctly yeah. said. Yeah. And certainly we're at a precipice of something interesting for Rita just because we have that moment of Offred telling her where the mm-hmm. letters of hope are because hidden. we don't know what Rita's going to do with them and it's important or if she was already somehow involved with Mayday right and they showed us uh, that clip in the recap of season mm-hmm. one of her finding it so it's clearly important yeah so we are just beginning to know all that Amanda Bruegel can do mm-hmm. with the stones inside of her I'm shoe I'm so excited I'm very excited uh, they gave us some insight into um, who Bradley Whitford is going to play. He's an economist. He's an he's, economist. He was a turned, pre-war economist. Turned commander. And he's actually, Alexis Bledel is assigned to his house as his handmaid. So that's interesting until I don't feel like I knew. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, was that when somebody yelled Rory? I think I got confused. Oh, that's what they were yeah. yelling. Okay, they yeah. yelled Rory. Honestly, I'm disappointed at us now for not yelling anything. I know, but I also, think so. Like even the people who got called on to like ask questions were ignorant AF. So I know, but like so, in light of that, we could have been less polite than we were. Yeah, <laughs> is I think what I'm saying, and we'll get to the questions. Yeah, we except asked. that all the things that we wanted to yell were like such deep cuts, specific to I people. Because all we wanted to yell was face butter. <laughs> I know that was, and I was like, is it worth the risk if? Because I, I was te- so tempted to yell that because I thought Bruce Miller will know what we're talking about because he saw our Valentine. Mm-hmm. It's featured heavily in the Valentine that we shared on with him on yeah. Twitter. So I feel like he would be like, oh, my God, these crazy guys keep asking me about this. I just wanted some acknowledgement or I wanted somebody else in the audience to be like, oh, they're here. <laughs> so um, anyway, if, if any redheads were at the another- Paley Fest, we're sorry we failed you. In another life, we both are cats. <laughs> what the fuck? That's from Vanilla Sky. Oh, I've never seen that Oh, movie. sorry. Sorry, young person. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so we learned that thing about Bradley Whitford's character. Um, just a quick reminder that we're going to have a bunch of guest stars in this season. We have Cherry Jones, who plays Offred's mom. We have um, Marissa Tomei, who's in The Colonies. There was somebody else they mentioned. Clea Duvall, who oh, plays Duvall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily's wife in flashback. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> there was an awkward part. Where so Max Mangella has seen the first episode. He seems he appears to be the only one on the cast who has seen the first episode cut together. Well, he says something like he works on the show. No, he, no, oh. and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Literally everyone here works on. Yeah, the but show. I was just like, I don't know what you mean, sir. 
I'm confused. Get a headboard, spit your gum out, <laughs> eat my pussy. I wrote chewing gum again. <laughs> what a dick. I'm so fixated on it. Um, but he goes in his little accent, he goes, you know, I saw the first cut of the show and what an extraordinary hour of television. And then Bruce Miller goes, uh, it's actually an hour and a half. <laughs> Good burn, Bruce Miller. That was very funny. Um, yeah. And they, um, uh, they're bringing on a director named Dana Reed, who is an Australian director. And Yvonne Strahovski said, who, when she said her name, so they're buds. <laughs> so Dana Reed, look out for her as a director. And they sort of danced around. Well, actually, I'm not going to say that. I, I think they addressed the, our concerns about diversity. Bruce Miller said there's almost 100% female writer's room. Mm-hmm. They are on purpose trying to get directors who are women. And they he said something I think that is something that like, we kind of want to hear from all the men in our lives, which is I'm willing to embrace my ignorance of what I can't possibly know as being a male mm-hmm. and to ask questions and to listen to their answers. And I thought that's kind of all we're asking for. In yeah. Every- and, I mean, and I do appreciate that, but it does still annoy the shit out of me that the two people who talked the most, and I mean, in a purely uh, meritocratous sense, mm-hmm. Of course, Warren Littlefield and Bruce Miller should be talking the most. Mm-hmm. They're the bosses. Mm-hmm. They run the show. Mm-hmm. It just makes me so angry that we don't ever get to see The Handmaid's Tale where it was a female showrunner. Yeah, I feel like And that. it was a female executive producer. I felt like his answers on uh, racial diversity were not great. And I mean, this is like an industry-wide thing. There is almost fucking nobody who's willing to go on the record and say yes i actively work to make sure that i am highlighting performers of color Mm -hmm. it is a tricky conversation because no one of color wants to feel tokenized at the same time when all you talk about is like oh like you know these amazing performers and you know they don't have to like be a representative of their race it just felt like i wanted him i felt like he was 75 percent of the way there and what he was trying to say i would have loved some examples of like because he does he did say like oh you know in the book the world of gilead is all white we didn't want to create that for this television show i would have loved to hear a a sick burn on all other TV. Where it's like, oh, we didn't want it to be just like every other prestige <laughs> drama. And I would have liked to hear, you know, well, okay, so how did you, you know, what did the process of casting your performers of color look like? That looked great, yeah. Because you were mentioning, and I think you're correct, that like we see the finger the fingerprints of like very conscious decision making around race happening mm-hmm. um even down to um off red to electric boogaloo you know and she has this totally different perspective not off red i'm sorry off glenn to electric boogaloo oh <laughs> the new off glenn i was very confused you know uh young we're, off glenn it's a it's a spinoff of the big bang theory <laughs> <laughs> we're very tired guys it's been a long trip anyway but like i just would love to see particularly from more like white allies who are in this like executive position Mm -hmm. being like, yeah, we're really conscious of this. These are the demographics in America in 2042 white people are going to be a minority. Mm -hmm. Like 
Oh, and they'll never shut up about it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. But it's just like, you know, I think people who are allies need to be braver about it and figure out a diplomatic way to be like, yeah. But I mean, you know. Yeah, I feel you. It's not like deciding, you know, to me deciding, oh, okay, I think it's interesting if Offred isn't in an interracial relationship and we're auditioning, you know, men of color Mm -hmm. for Luke. Like, that's not tokenization. Like, that's making a very specific conscious choice I would definitely say I don't think that they explored it in that way in season one. And that's the thing, too, that I'm curious about. It's one thing to make these choices and you have this representation, but then they did dodge, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, did racism just stop? Because, I mean, listen, and I'm willing to believe that Uh if if your issue is, oh, birth rates dropped 92 percent in six months. I can totally see that in the same way that an alien invasion might, you know, crumble the walls of prejudice and mistrust (laughs) in various communities. You know, it's possible that people got to this point. Yeah. Um, But, you know, just, you know, don't not engage with it when it is a reality. I feel you. And, you know, and and just, you know, and and I thought Samira and OT just kind of like trod the party line in terms of being like, yeah, like, I'm just grateful that it wasn't an issue. Which is cool. Like, I, and it's not like I'm saying, like, oh, I want, like, their blackness to be front and center. Yeah, I I, I feel like I, I understand what you're saying. And I, yeah. I feel that. Um, I think OT does address it, though, because he said, like, there's always an open dialogue about race, authenticity. And I never felt like I couldn't say something. Sure. And I did say stuff when I felt uncomfortable or when I felt like there was something that needed to be address right which is fine as a working environment i'm talking about the finished product and what we're actually seeing there and that was actually kind of interesting too because samira wiley said she's like you know a lot of the stuff that were happening as conversations around race once the show was released were not things i had thought about Mm -hmm. so um i think she she said something that i think can wrap up this discussion um either way is that like it's very good that we're having these conversations mm-hmm. and i'm actually really proud to be part of these conversations well, and, and i love that she said about like you know it gives people who maybe don't have much in common something to bond about and, totally. and i mean i think that's all culture and all content <clears throat> it gives people it brings people together <laughs> much like we have been brought together that's right in this airbnb absolutely um they kind of touched a little bit about how um me too and Time's Up shaped this season. Bruce Miller said, I don't want to mansplain how it shamed this, how it shaped this season while you ask anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of explained it a little bit. Madeline Brewer said that playing um, Janine, careful. <laughs> she said that playing Janine uh, empowered her to express her own Me Too story. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. I thought because um, Samira Wiley said something similar. Mm-hmm. And. I think the idea of drawing strength from fictional characters is really fascinating being as we are, we're the premier Handmaid's Tale fandom on the <laughs> internet. Um, but you know, just so much of my life and like my personal, like moral compass and things that I value have so much come from fictional characters. Absolutely. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of a blank canvas mm-hmm. to, to, kind of draw from Absolutely. and i thought that was really interesting that even these women in this sort they have a platform but they didn't feel empowered because they have a platform they felt empowered because they are projections of these fictional characters yeah. um that is interesting yeah um amanda bruegel brought up a point that i found very interesting i loved what she said it oh. had nothing to do with what they were asking but i loved it no it really didn't <laughs> 
She says, um, in reference to her character, I'm really big with housewives. And she says that like she was hoping that the character of Rita can kind of voice some of the strength and empowerment that women can feel as housewives mm-hmm. and sort of tell a housewife kind of story. Mm-hmm. What did you make of that? I fucking loved it. Was your mm-hmm. mom ever a housewife? No. <laughs> okay. That's why you don't get it. My oh, mom it's has not been that a housewife. I... And it's like, look, oh, women that who are housewives it. work their asses off. Right. And they don't get paid. They don't get any fucking respect. Mm-hmm. And Rita is this extreme version of that where mm-hmm. she isn't partnered with anybody. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have children. She does have children. Hmm? She has a son. I don't mean in, I mean, she doesn't have a son in this household. Right. Like she has no one right. who okay. is giving her any kind of emotional feedback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's her job to make sure that that household runs smoothly, whether that means showing Serena Joy where the whiskey is hidden <laughs> or Offred eats her damn lunch. Yeah. Like she is responsible for so much of what goes on, but nobody cares what she thinks because they think that what she does is not as important as what they do. Totally. Even Offred, I think, thinks that. Of course. And I think that what is interesting about this and got kind of brought up is that, you know, Handmaid's Tale is sort of telling the stories of all different kinds of women Mm -hmm. from the most downtrodden to the most privileged to people who are self-interested to people who are altruistic. And that's really important because there's no, they're they're They made the point that like, it's not just one type of women we're Mm -hmm. raising up in this show is like, there's so many something though. That's interesting though is like, I'm surprised she didn't say like, I'm telling the story of housewives and, domestic workers Mm -hmm. um because that's i feel like there is a certain clout to being a housewife that there isn't if you're like a maid or a babysitter no i get what you're saying but i also think that domestic workers aren't watching this show you know what i mean potentially yeah Yeah. and it's also not like not because they don't want to but because you know it costs money to watch hulu fair and it's certainly not her responsibility to answer for everybody but i just i found that to be interesting that she said she was representing housewives i would have loved because bruce miller was the one making the point about all the different types Mm. which i think is great and i think it's a great antidote to sort of like quote unquote strong female character theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did keep saying like, oh, these women are all strong in different ways. I'm like, yeah, but they're also weak in different ways. Well, don't you think that like, that's even though it's not said like, that's what that means. <laughs> no, because weakness is still anathema. Weakness is feminized. And I just would have liked to hear somebody really like claim that. Cause like even like Madeline Brewer got annoyed when he was like, Oh, like your cheese slipping off the cracker. It's like, yeah, your character's severely mentally ill. Mm, I think um, I see what you're saying. But just being like, Oh, like these women aren't valuable because they're strong. They're valuable because they're people. I see. Okay. Yeah. I like that point. I like that point a lot. That's well said. Um, one of the last questions that they asked before throwing it to the masses is <laughs> <laughs> they asked Bruce Miller, does in this season, does anyone escape Gilead? And he goes, yep. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah. Who do you think he's referring to? Um, I don't know. I mean, if Gilead's within you, the answer is really no. Um, but I mean, I think Offred gets out somehow. Yeah. I don't think she stays out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know. I don't think anybody else wants to leave. <laughs> like <clears throat> Aunt Lydia is in it to win it. Right. Uh, everybody in the colonies, like they're done. 
so sorry excuse me like um, maybe like maybe nick leaves yeah so i, I would say like offred and nick are the two main candidates in terms of people who aren't already out yeah who want to be out totally i, I think don't so. see serena joy going through you know a radicalization <laughs> where she suddenly is on the other side yeah truly um and then the second question they asked was does anyone on this stage escape and it's like he could have easily said like yeah so we're a wiley yeah, she yeah escaped yeah. last season ot escaped um, but he said no comment. So that was interesting. Um, they talked briefly about Jordana last name. I can't remember. Brewster. Nope. Oh, uh, no. Madeline Brewster. Right. <laughs> yeah. The girl who plays Hannah, who plays young Hannah, um, saying that she comes back and we see her a lot mm-hmm. this season. So I'm excited to see if we see her in flashbacks, which I think is likely because OT had a big familiarity with her. Uh-huh. And that's the only way that he would see her. I think. Yeah. Um, um, but I want to see more of her in her adorable pink cape because I freaking love that outfit. <laughs> it's a very cute outfit. Uh, yeah. And oh God, please fucking press reviewing The Handmaid's Tale. Can you fucking stop asking this question if anyone is safe? Like, Jesus Guess Christ. What? Are you watching a show on TV? No one is safe. We live in a post-Ned Stark world. No well, one is safe. not even that. Contract negotiations are volatile and unpredictable. <laughs> That's true. I mean, like, it's such a hack question, especially, I mean, especially on a show where violence is inherent. And dumb. I'm tired of hearing it. Yeah. Guess what? Everyone dies, especially fictional characters. Yeah. So (laughs) they asked that question. I thought found that to be dumb. So fucking stop asking. Speaking of dumb questions. (laughs) Let's let's move on to the audience part. So this was shitty because they didn't have a microphone on the balcony where we were sitting. Right. But I also have a theory that they only let people who are Paley members ask questions, right. which seems pretty likely. But like the first one was. Uh, oh, this was a great one. I actually thought this was a good question. Um, uh, let's actually save this question for when. I we- don't even know what order the questions came in. So, OK, I'm going to save this question for when we recap the scenes because it was germane to. A right. OK. Scene. But this was a good question. The uh, second question was grossly misunderstood by all of the cast and, and I don't, the producers and i don't think was a bad question i just no, think that, i thought it was a great question so the second person asked in this dystopian world of gilead who would you be and the only person the only people who had like good answers to this were the people who were like i would probably be dead <laughs> that and Bruce Bruce Miller had a great answer but like it was so annoying because this is like, this is like if you're watching Game of Thrones, it's like, oh, what house would you be in? You know what I mean? Like, you're actors. Mm-hmm. Use your goddamn imagination. What house would you be in? Huh? Oh, in um, Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones. Oh, Greyjoy for sure. Nice. Yeah. I'd be Martell just because that's where all the Latinos seem to be. <laughs> that <laughs> <Anyhow>. makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is like part and parcel. Like, they should be prepared for this question. I'm sure they've been asked this yeah. question a bunch of times, but how the many of the actors interpreted this question is, what other character in the show would I be? So not even a, that. It's like, oh, here's how I connect with the character that I play. Oh, and I'm mean, like, guess what? You all fail. You're all dead. And I kind of liked OT's answer, though he also misunderstood the question. I like the OT's answer that like he's such an optimist that he would he feels like he would find a way to be optimistic even in that world. Yeah. 
So I kind of <laughs> like that because I kind of feel that as well. Um, but Amanda Bruegel straight up killed it. She was like, I would be a wife. You uh, get cute clothes. They get amazing food. Wife all the way. She got an applause break because everybody was A, excited by her enthusiasm and B, just relieved <laughs> that she's not dumb as a post and understood what this gentleman in a fabulous le- leopard sweater was asking. And he got in great on the end of his question or like, I think after the answer, he's like, yeah, um, also more Latinos on the show, please. Mm-hmm. That was Kaboom! My- yeah. yeah, Latinos and Asian folks. Where are yeah. they? Let's get them all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm starting to think Amanda Bruegel listens to this podcast because that was a very like us answer. Um, Amanda Bruegel, if you're listening, send us a blinky emoji twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's funny. Uh yeah, anything else you'd like to touch on from the panel? Oh my god. Okay. So the, the next Are we going to bitch about the final question? Oh god, let's bitch about the this final question. This woman wrote her question out in advance and I was like, "Oh my oh, god." Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not even talking about that one. I'm talking about the second the penultimate question that was also dumb. They just, there were like, so many dumb questions. There's just a lot of and you know what? And we say that with the grain of salt that we would have fully and unabashedly asked where the face butter was. So we're yeah, aware and I was gonna I was gonna like I we have been like crafting this whole weekend the question I was gonna ask, which is like why is all of your music racist baby boomer music? It's um, not racist <laughs> music. Uh the ethos behind choosing it is racist. No, it's not. Molly, I'm a white person. I know how we operate. Oh God. Um, so no, they so, could have put some Nina Simone in there and they chose not to. So we were practicing which questions we were going to ask. I was going to ask about the inclusion of face butter and all, more to the point, the inclusion of uh, stuff from the epilogue. And mm-hmm. Kelly was going to ask about music choice. Yeah. So we both had questions, but we also are aware that the face butter question is a silly question too. So as much as we're making well, fun like, of, we were like, should we ask an ignorant question or like a serious question? <laughs> Even our ignorant questions would have been better than these fucking ignorant questions right. that so, these dumb dumb. So someone, I, I think it's just people misunderstand on panels like how they don't understand how anything is made. Right. And presumably they all live here, but it's like they were asking everybody questions that the writers would have been the ones to ask. Right. So because Bruce these Miller- are people like and and I thought Yvonne, Str- uh, I thought Yvonne Strahovski did a great job of answering this and saying, well, you know, like it's my job to justify the choices. Right. But like I don't make the choices. So the question that somebody asked, which is certainly a okay question to have, but just the wrong venue to ask it at. He was like, <laughs> how do people get to be commanders? And they were like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I don't know. How do they pick who gets to be a commander? I don't who signs up for that. And Bruce actually, Miller- I thought he, he just didn't articulate. Like he knew what he meant, but like he, he just was like, why are these people commanders? Like he just like went way too, like he went very circuitously. No, I don't think that. I think that's not the venue for that question. Is what I mean. It's like that's a question for Margaret Atwood. Uh, Bruce Miller. Feel like I don't it. think Margaret Atwood knows, and I don't think she cares. I think she does. Um, I do not he, think she does. He answered it in a way that I think is the only way you could answer that question. As Bruce Miller said, "Well, like men in power stay in power." Well, I mean, but he said like the commanders are. This is where he got the information about Bradley Whitford, though, because he was like, "Well, like you know, the commander Waterford is a commander because he was one of the original sons of Jacob." Uh-huh who overthrew the government and then somebody like Bradley Whitford comes from academia mm-hmm. and has skills that are useful to Gilead. Right. So I thought he answered it well. Yeah. I just think that again, like that's a writer question, not a question for a panel of actors. Um, and then the final question, I I didn't think this was a bad question necessarily. It just was like, I don't know. Would do you want to tee this up? I don't even know what it was. The I just qu- remember being the angry. question was kind of like, it was like, what's Serena Joy's 
like end oh game. right and like did she did she do this sp- this is when she said about justifying the choices but she was like did she help frame gilead she says something like she basically created a system to enslave herself right did she do this to gain power or like out of some or sort to of have a baby yeah so bruce miller basically said you know she saw a problem which was the dropping birth rate and mm-hmm. was like here is a way to solve it mm-hmm. which i think is pretty evident from the show and I think she just didn't think certain pieces of it through. I agree. I don't think that this is a dumb question, actually. Because <laughs> um, Bruce- I thought the person asking it was quite dumb. Well, how the fuck could you make a value judgment about this person you don't know? Because I didn't like the way that she structured the question that she pre-wrote. <laughs> okay. Um, if you're going to pre-write something, pre-write <laughs> it, you know, goodly. <laughs> um, P.S. We do not pre-write this podcast. <laughs> oh, we don't? Wow. <laughs> Um, but we got that great insight from Bruce Miller about this question about there's two things to know about Serena Joy is on the, she combines two things. One, someone who is engaged in the world and saw a problem that needed fixing the birth rate and two, a person with the ability to convince. So she's very much even more calculated than the commander, Mm -hmm. I think in terms of forming this world. Oh, you mean Captain Dorcas? (laughs) And Yvonne Strahovski said, like, Serena Joy follows her dreams of creating this world where women embrace their biological capabilities. And it's a pure thought. She describes Serena Joy's sort of motivation as, like, this was a very pure and altruistic thought that went horribly wrong. And I think that's a really good cornerstone for understanding her character. Because she also said people who are evil don't like go out in the world and are like, Oh, time to be evil today. Like they really think whatever their actions are, are in service of creating a better world. Absolutely. Which I think makes it that much more sinister. Totally. But of course, as we know, (laughs) better never means better for everyone. (laughs) That's right. So that's about the end of our discussion on the panel. Yes. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers about season two whatsoever, stop now. Yep. We love you. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Okay, great. All right. People are still here. Let's go. We saw three scenes from season two, uh, and we'll just take them scene by scene. So the first scene that we saw um, was a a clip of which we've seen in the trailer, Mm -hmm. and we were speculating a long time about what this might be. This is a scene where handmaids are kneeling in the rain each holding rocks and we don't know for sure but i think it's fairly safe to assume that this is the punishment for not stoning janine oh this is definitely the punishment for happens- not stoning janine <laughs> like i can't see how it could be anything else okay yeah sorry about that yeah but um, i feel like but that means that would have to have happened between them not stoning janine uh-huh. and offred getting put in that van absolutely so that's the sort of piece i'm talking we have about. a lot of questions yeah so this is a scene that like you're right happened in that timeline of the first season but we didn't see so it's the handmaids kneeling in the rain their arms outstretched holding rocks and um, and if you've ever had to do anything even remotely like this (laughs) i was so upset i was like this is horrible what have you done that is like this uh I don't even know when, but like I have been in a position. Oh, I like I was a, a clothed model one time, Whoa. and like you have to like maintain the same position. Oh. But like I swear to God, I've had to like hold something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I was a handmaid in a past life. Oh, no. But like this, just like having like you don't think about like having to like just hold, hold even it. if you weren't holding a rock, just holding your arm in one position for that long is awful. Yeah. 
And they're all kneeling there in two concentric circles in the pouring, pouring rain. Aunt Lydia is walking around them. She has an umbrella. Scolding them, saying, uh, you know, you are spoiled and you're selfish and you will pay for your disobedience. And she says the quote from the book that we really like is she goes, don't you remember what it was like before Gilead? There's such a thing. There's two kinds of freedoms. There's freedom to and freedom from. And what we're offering you in Gilead is freedom from the life that you had before. Don't and you realize this? Did she say that in season one? I couldn't remember because I know we have I know. repeated it <laughs> repeatedly. I'm not sure. But I think said. it might be the first time. Yeah. And so she's walking like, around. Like redheads, anybody who's had the stomach to watch this show multiple times, I let know, us geez. know. Um, so she's walking around cattle prodding people. She cattle prods Offred right in the in the neck. Mm-hmm. It's horrible and doubly so because it's wet mm-hmm. and raining. That's oh my god! Really and they all look so viscerally miserable, dangerous. Yeah. And then this sort of scolding comes to an end when someone comes out and whispers to Aunt Lady, and she goes, "Wow, really? Yeah." And I wish <laughs> I wish it wasn't another aunt. I wish it was the doofy guardian from season one's like blessed day aunt lydia <laughs> offred's really pregnant this time but they tell her that offred is pregnant and um so like please stop beating her let her yeah and then she like makes all of the handmaids say uh praise be his mercy yeah and which so- i guess is like the full you know praise be is just mm-hmm. like saying brb um yeah. but it's like praise be his mercy but like nobody is really feeling it but right. Aunt Lydia's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Quit being so white. She's like, are you whiny little dogs? <gasps> Yay! Well, it was scary too because it's another time we see Aunt Lydia turn on a dime from being very abusive to very mm-hmm. compassionate. Um, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily... There's there's a sadist's edge yeah. to her happiness Ugh. here. So, oh, and just the way she's like, Offred has been keeping a secret. And I'm like... So when she said that, I was horrified for a split second because i was like when in the timeline does this take place because is she keep she knows that she's keeping a secret she's had an affair with the commander Mm -hmm. or she knows that she's keeping a secret because she's had an affair with luke like what secret Mm -hmm. is she talking about (laughs) and it turns out to be the secret that we know what's your secret (laughs) um the question that pertained to this scene because that's about the end of the scene Uh they take her away um the first question that got asked by the audience is what kind of um, special care did you take of the actors during this scene? Because it must have been brutal. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Miller said this scene was filmed for 10 hours. Uh. Warren Littlefield said it was maybe closer to six. So who knows? Well, I mean, there's, you know, if it's like 10 hours end to end, if like they're including breaks, maybe. Yeah, but a whole day, mm-hmm. all these actors and extras, which I got the impression that... Um, the handmaid's extras are the same every time, which yeah, I think that was which is really cool. I bet they have really fun brunches. I bet they do. That mm-hmm. sounds like a cool job. But they said all of the actors in that scene have knee pads on that you can't see. And they're on special kneelers, like special padded mm-hmm. kneelers. And the rocks that they're holding are pretend rocks. So yeah. they're not heavy. But still, it's no, it like is. That's what I'm saying. Is just like, and I mean, and you're still soaking wet, mm-hmm. and you know they're not getting dry between takes. I'm sure. No, you're really cold, and you probably pee pee a little. Yeah. If you're anything like me, when my pants are wet, yeah. I'm like, bye. <laughs> you're taking liberties. I drink enough water. It's practically <laughs> just it's water. The same. <laughs> same in, same out. So that was the first scene we watched. Any any other reaction to that scene? I mean. I think we had speculated before we had seen this that that was maybe some kind of training to stone someone, but no, it's punishment. Yeah. 
And it's it's interesting because we get I think we get a little cocky sometimes seeing all of the handmaids being kind of action handmaids uh-huh. at the end of the first season thinking like, oh, shit, they're going to really show them. It's like, no, yeah. you're still not in charge. Um, I think, though, and I'd have to go back and, and look at the, the trailer again. And we're not going to have time to get into the most recent teaser because we have so much to cover here. But like, I thought there was a scene of them with the rocks where it wasn't raining. I thought that as well. Okay. So I think there's two separate things going on here. So we'll see what reveals itself when the show actually comes back. I think the biggest takeaway from this scene and the rest of the ones that we see is they're going to be fucking with time a lot. I think they may be fucking with time more than they did in the first. I definitely because think the so. first season was very like, oh, we're focusing on this person. Here's like these, mm-hmm. you know, backstory things. But now it's like, oh, we're going to get like backstory within the front story. Yeah. Does so, that make sense? Um, a little. <laughs> <laughs> I think what Kelly means is that we're going to see the scenes between the scenes that we've already seen instead of holy new ones yeah it's a whole platform nine and a half situation yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um so that i found very interesting because mm-hmm. i'm i was frankly very surprised that they would go backwards like that mm-hmm. um so that's really intriguing so we'll see we'll see we could also be wrong i don't know how we could be but uh, yeah, we could be confused. wrong uh the second scene that we saw anyone could die and we could be wrong <laughs> wow just that's just in life <laughs> Uh, the second scene we see is in the colonies. And, girl, I do not see no rolling cornfields. Right. It was very dusty. <laughs> I think she was like, oh, I'm sorry. My trailer. My trailer was yeah. had pictures of cornfields, not the actual place we Is go. this part of my meditation app? Um, <laughs> cheese? Cracker? What? <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, so, yeah. So, um, it was it showed workhorses, uh, workers, and then all of the unwomen digging yeah they were digging and this was toxic waste of the colony yeah and i have because it's like the ground like the topsoil is like this weird husk it's like hollow Uh i have so many questions and underneath is dark black yeah and we see emily Uh is there looking real haggard she looks like she's been there a while she's gonna look like what i look like when i go back to work (laughs) after my late flight tonight um but yeah she looks real haggard um and it was like she was she was digging and then she stopped and then got yelled at by one of the ants and was like get back to work you two to somebody else and then like there was like a gong a bell rang and they all had to get on their knees and they all had to say this prayer and the prayer uh part of it is i think it's the sinners the whores are blessed under his grace oh shit yeah, I didn't have time to. I was just kind this. of letting it wash over me, so I didn't I like. I didn't like catch the specific words, but like Emily seemed like she was having trouble keeping up with yeah. the group prayer. But she's so. slipping off her cracker too. Ooh, yeah. Also, if we're if we're calling death pool, I think Emily dies. Ooh, yeah. I also hope that she dies. I want her. She's to- been through so much. I can't, I can't, she can't. I can't. At the same time, though, they invested in Alexis Bledel being officially part of the cast. Yeah, so I season. think if she dies, it's at the end of the season. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, something interesting that Warren Littlefield pointed out um, about this scene is we see kind of the ancillary workers in the in the colonies. Mm-hmm. So, like, I assume the ants and <laughs> the horses. They horses! Say, they say, he, Warren Littlefield said, this should show you how Gilead thinks of certain women as disposable because he actually didn't qualify it with certain. He said how Gilead thinks of women as disposable. Okay. But there were other women who don't apply to that in Mm -mm. this, in the scene. Yes, there are. What are you talking about? 
Okay, so the end of this quote is he thinks Gilead thinks women are disposable because even the horse says get gas masks, mm-hmm. but the women don't. But there are ants there who have gas masks who are right, ladies, but they're so. still disposable. Oh, I see. I yeah. apologize. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But that was interesting that he pointed out the horses have gas masks, the women don't. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Um, yeah, that was it's chilling. Not a scalable business model. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's it's actually because they they did talk about you know what goes on in the colonies is like all these people, you know, creating a life for themselves in what is presumably their last stop oh. in their lives, and they compared it to people in concentration camps, mm. and like working your workforce to death is not economically scalable. True, uh, which is something we talked a lot about. In my other podcast, we watched a movie called Conspiracy, uh, which was a basically about the architects and framers of the final solution in Nazi Germany. And we had very mixed feelings about <laughs> the existence of that movie and what we were supposed to think about it. Oh, interesting. Um, it was interesting. I don't know that I'd even recommend that movie, but like <laughs> it was weird. It was really weird. Um, um, but every British actor, you know, is in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and anyway, but it is like, okay, like... It is very functional in terms of being a punishment. Oh, yeah. But if you... I, mean, I hope we find out what their goal is in the colony. <laughs> yeah, that's a good because question. Because it's like, are they just out there to be exposed to toxic waste? Or like, are we trying to legitimately reclaim this, this land? This land? Yeah. Um, I will say, <laughs> we could see in the background that there are like little domey kind of tents. Yeah, biodome. The- yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it reminds me of that fire fest. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> that um, startup. Like, all we had was cheese sandwiches in the colonies. <laughs> there you go. So maybe that's what Melon Brewer is trying to say. Is basically the colonies are firefest. <laughs> like it seemed like a great idea. Uh, Nas was there. <laughs> I can't remember who that was supposed to be there. Um, yeah. So that was that <gasps> scene. Sorry, I think I cut you off. Did you have anything else? No, that was and that was the whole scene. It was very short. <laughs> very short. Um, and the very final- brown. Very short, very brown. It was the Molly Sanchez of scenes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. The last scene we saw, I think, is my favorite of the ones that we this saw. This was the meatiest one. I mean, they, they knew what they were doing here. And not just because my queen was in it. But um, it was offered in a doctor's office, once again, bisected by that curtain with her, you know, her legs and her bottom half on uh-huh. one side to be examined, her feet and stirrups and her head and torso in the other side. And we see a shadow coming up from behind the curtain and where her I thought legs- well it was that plus the click of the heels I was like oh it's Serena Joy I know I thought so too I was for two seconds I was like oh it's a female doctor it's like <laughs> bitch did you forget which show you were Blessed watching day, Alfred. Uh, I'm here I'm, I'm the guardian assigned to your uh, obstetrics appointment it's Grey from Grey's Anatomy <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate crossover episode but no it's Serena Joy and oh my god it just like this was before any of the cast had even come out and it just amped me up for uh-huh. seeing Yvonne Strahovski in the flesh because her performance is so freaking masterful. So she comes over to look at Alfred and she goes, I will not have any more of your recalcitrance. I'm tired of this smart girl bullshit. Ooh, and my blood ran cold. And she's saying that to her and like Alfred is not having Sabrina Joy's bullshit and she hits back. Yeah, she says in her very like, and it's very much you can tell when her voice shifts to action often because uh-huh. she goes, don't get upset, Serena. It's bad for the baby. It's like, now we both got collateral, uh-huh. bitch. Yep. 
And it was very scary, too, because... Um, I thought she was also saying that as, like, a dig at Gilead, how they do this whole, like, play-act pantomime where the uh, wife is also pregnant. I was thinking that, too. Yeah. Did you notice... I wonder if this is just me projecting, but I thought that I was noticing, like, Serena Joy wearing, like, maternity wife outfit. It did I, look a I little more billowy. I didn't clock anything of that nature, uh-huh. so we'll have to pay attention when it comes up, for real. That is funny. I, I liked that part. Um, mm-hmm. so that happens. That dynamic is fantastic. And, and I think, I don't think that we are far off in thinking that this scene comes on the heels of Alfred getting out of the rain. She had the same head wound. Yeah. Um, so if we're clocking it by that, I bet she goes from that scene, puts on a dry habit and then goes to the gyno mm-hmm. like we all do. Yeah. I like to sit in the rain before I go to the doctor. I just, um, it gets everything out. The thing that I think is so interesting is that Fred, Commander Waterford, is on the side of the curtain that her vagine is on. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because it communicates that Gilead believes that the only thing that men should be engaging with as far as women are concerned is their nethers and only for strictly procreative purposes. And it really speaks to the regimes of control over her. Mm -hmm. So Commander Waterford very physically is in control of her genitals and her Mm -hmm. reproductive organs. But Serena Joy is in charge of her as a whole body, but mostly of like the emotional Mm -hmm. manipulation. She's she's in charge of her personhood. Exactly. And like, so she's with, I think it's significant. It's like, she's with Offred on the head side of the Mm -hmm. curtain until Fred calls her over. It's like, Oh, look at our baby. And you Mm -hmm. know, the, the, the tech is like, oh, you know, here's your baby. You know, we want to see this thickening of the lining and all this stuff. And they leave. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, I, I don't know if he's a doctor or a tech. I was disappointed <laughs> that it wasn't the same doctor <laughs> from before. But God knows when I had Kaiser, I never saw the same gynecologist <laughs> twice. Um, but <laughs> I just imagined that, like, that they were like, oh, yeah, Kaiser works perfectly for Gilead. <laughs> Kaiser Permanente. Praise be and thrive. <laughs> Allison Janney is still allowed to do the voiceover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She and she's the one person not enslaved because they're like, well, we're never going to get a better voiceover. No, absolutely not. Oscar also, winner. Like, if you're honest, all the sons of Jacob, big CJ Craig fans. They love her. <laughs> they love. She's the only celebrity allowed. <laughs> so they leave, and no, no, you're missing one gigantic part. Ooh, what happened? I forgot. Who? Speaking of people who can turn on a dime from mm-hmm. being horrendously scary to being icily sweet is serena joy they can't see the heartbeat of the baby but they can see Mm -hmm. the baby and they say to the waterfords this is your baby here's the proud parents Uh like you would if it was serena joy getting an ultrasound Mm -hmm. serena joy upon hearing this she she cries a little and she goes to offered who she was threatening seconds ago she goes and she kisses her on the forehead and she says god bless you and it's just so scary because we realize that uh, Serena Joy, as in charge as she is, is over a barrel because she wants this baby mm-hmm. so badly. And she just genuinely wants yeah, it. Yeah, pro tip. If you want power, don't want shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. So now we can get to the part that you were trying yeah, to talk so about. Yeah, so they both leave. Mm-hmm. Well, Fred leaves first. And then I think Serena comes over mm-hmm. and is nice to offer it and then leaves. And offer mm-hmm. is just like, and again, the face acting. unbelievable face acting and they so offred does what we all do she gets down off the table she goes and sits in a chair and is like 
pulling gonna, I was surprised. No, 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 wait, she doesn't leave. She's over, like, still, she's, like, on her way over there. And there were two sort of, like, orderlies uh-huh. who were, like, kind of getting things set up and, like, bringing in the Waterfords in. One of them walks past and says um, something like, he's like, praise be, blessed be the fruit, whatever. And then he says shit what he says godspeed godspeed june and we gasped so loud everyone in the dolby theater heard us and no one else made a sound nobody else was surprised and can i say also this was a theater full of people who were like purportedly super fans of this show well yeah and they were like laughing at a bunch of strange parts um like they laughed when Offred talked back to Serena Joy and they laughed at another part that we were like, uh, we don't necessarily feel like this is funny, but yeah, are we, we just wrong? Audibly gasped. <laughs> Wait, we- is this a comedy and we're just incorrect? <laughs> that would be funny if like the whole world had been reading it as a comedy this whole time. <laughs> That's the big twist in season two. It's just been like a wacky. <laughs> anyway, um, but so we the orderly called her June. And we June is it. like, this is interesting. So she goes over to her shoes. Here we also lost it because we she gets in her shoes and we were like, I don't know why she would be moisturizing with butter There's at the no gynecologist. Reason. But we were just like, anytime there is a shoe, we are like, oh my God, face butter. But she gets in her shoe and there's a key mm-hmm. with a red square on it. Uh-huh. I wonder if it's a key to something in the red center. Oh, good guess. Yeah. Um, we have no we have no indication from anybody what this key is for. And I'm trying to think of if there's loose threads of like stuff she has been looking for a key to. Like it's No, not I don't to, think so. It's not to like Jezebel. Well, and I mean it's clearly a key to like uh like a building. Yeah. Like a door in a building. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I'm one because I'm also wondering, okay, so if if the timeline if we're predicting this timeline correctly uh-huh. and after they refused to stone Janine, they mm-hmm. took them and stood them in the rain. And I think uh-huh. it was cloudy that day that they were going to stone Janine too. Yeah, yeah. And then they did that. They got her out of there. They took her to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Then she went back to the Waterford's oh, house. Yeah. And then gets put in the van. The key is maybe to something along the way. I don't know what that would be. It's not, it didn't look like, like a manacle or like handcuff key. Uh-huh. Um, man this is so interesting we got like i think without fully realizing out of the time we yeah. got concentric scenes. there's so much stuff we just got so many like and it was good just puzzle i just love seeing it like Me too. it's so beautiful it's such a fully realized world mm. and the people who populate it are so layered Ugh. and interesting and and contradictory so and excited. i just like i seriously like cannot wait to see season two i'm so excited yeah Yay. so i think we got to wrap things up here yeah i gotta get on the plane home i know so i might go to shake shack again i'm not gonna lie to listen, you listen i support you <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll be back um yeah. with you know hopefully a recap of the first episode yeah soon see you later hollywood until next time no lite tape stardays carborundorum Dumb. <laughs>